All right. So, so you guys turn to Matthew 13. If you brought your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is. So, most of you guys know this. You guys have probably read this. If you've ever read the New Testament, this is a very common um, story in the the, uh, New Testament. When I was uh, reading this, sorry, my notes are catching up to what I typed in on my phone before service too. So, so you guys ever shared the gospel with somebody? Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about the plan of salvation. Talk to them about um, what God can do for them. You never notice that we tend to, we try to make the plan of salvation a sales pitch. Like, well, God can do this for you. And, and, and yes, he can, but why are we trying to talk them into it's like going to the, the car dealership and, and the guy that has the slick back hair and the weird suit and he's trying to sell you this vehicle that you don't need. And, but why do, I think we tend to approach witnessing and talking to people about Jesus that way. Like we try to talk them into what, you know, like in the car sales and well, you know, this has got power, power this, power this, heated this. We try to talk them into the features of it, not what is actually the need of it. We try to talk to him, and, well, he can heal you, he can set you free. What the need is, is actually is redemption and being taken out of the, the hands of the enemy, brought into new life. And all those things are just add-on features. You know what I mean? It's like when you go and buy your car. How many of you guys have bought a car in the last couple months or a year? So Nicole's good at buying cars. Like she's hit a few things that are bigger than, as big as her car. So when you go to the 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 car dealership, you don't say, well, I have to have these. You're looking for, you look, I want a car. You don't, you're looking for, if I hit a cow, am I going to survive? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so if you don't know, she hit a cow. Yeah. So the, the cow wasn't okay after that. Um, but you go to the car dealership, you don't look for, well, I have to have heated this and heated this. You look for, okay, is it, is it going to be reliable is the first thing. You don't say, well, you know, I don't care if it's reliable. I just want power seats. If it breaks down every week, that's okay. I just want the power seats and the heated seats. No, we look for something that is, is substantial and that is going to be um, reliable. But with the gospel, we tend to, to go past the reliable part of it and into the, the feature benefit part of it. Sorry, I worked in sales for a while, so feature benefit is, is common phrasing. Um, but we tend to talk about what God can do for them on top of salvation, not what salvation is. Because sometimes we get, it's like, well, this is uncomfortable. If you've ever been, um, if, we've, if you've ever been to a car dealership with my wife, the salesperson is always uncomfortable because she tells them what they're going to do for her, not what they're, they're going to do for her or what she's going to do for them by handing them money. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You're going to do this. And they look at her, and they're confounded by it. But they do it. She's very persuasive. But we talk about the gospel. We talk about salvation, but we we tend to try to make it very nice. But if you really think about it, the plan of salvation is, is amazing, but the substance of it is very uncomfortable if you really look at it. We have heaven and we have hell. We have life and we have death. We have um, forever with God and eternally separated from God. 
And that is ugly. The, the, the salvation is not this pretty thing that happens inside of us. It is an amazing thing that happens inside of us. But think about it. Everything that has happened to, be, to have salvation for us was never pretty. Was never this beautiful Jesus, just, you know, that, that picture of Jesus looking up to heaven. And, and, you know, it wasn't like that. But when we share the gospel with people or people that grow up in the church and people that leave the church and people that reject the gospel of Jesus and they reject salvation, it's str- it, you struggle with that sometimes, am I right? When you see someone who knows the word of God and they've been raised in the word of God or they've known the truth and then they walk away from it. And some of it t- sometimes it's hurt from the church, sometimes it's hurt from a person, sometimes it's just their own rebellion, sometimes it's just not having something to ground them. But you see that. When you're in ministry, you see people that have, were so, so radical for Jesus. And then a year later, they're like, they're calling you up and they're, and they're, they're completely out of their mind, high, wasted, you know, drunk, whatever. And you're like, where did this, what went wrong? What, what happened there? And I think that this passage of Scripture, this parable, is exactly what it is. We can look at this and we can see what happens in church, in the world, in our ministry when we reach out towards other people, why this is this way. So I'm going to read this to you. So I'm going to read you from the Passion Translation today. And um, we're going to start in verse... Uh, four, well, part of three, it says, consider this, Matthew thirteen three it says, consider this, there was a farmer who went out to sow seeds. He cast his seeds, some fell along the, the beaten path, and the birds came and ate them. The other seeds fell on the gravel that had no topsoil. The seeds quickly shot up, but when days, days grew hot, the sprouts were scorched and withered because there was insufficient roots. The other seeds fell among the thorns and weeds, so when the seeds sprouted, so did the weeds crowding out the good plants, but the other seeds fell on good, rich soil that kept producing a harvest. Some yielded 30, 60, and some 100. If you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. What I love is Jesus told parables for people who were seeking and people who were not seeking. He didn't always preach to people who weren't seeking him or people who were seeking him. He was preaching because the people who were seeking him would start to understand what was going on, what he was saying, because their spirit was connecting with what he was saying. But people who weren't seeking, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, they were like, that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't not compute, doesn't, we don't comprehend that. But then, verse 10, then his disciples approached Jesus and asked, why do you always speak to people in these hard-to-understand parables? So even his disciples didn't quite understand this. So I was listening to a gentleman talk, and he's like, you know, we talk about the disciples. And Jesus spent three years, literally three years with them, eating, sleeping in the same area with them, always spending time and what happened? As soon as persecution came, as soon as they pulled him out of the garden, said, we're going to bring him to trial, what happened? They all faded away. 
So discipleship, even three years with Christ, was not always, didn't always end up how it was. You know, they're like, we're just going to be with you. We're going we're to take up arms and we're going to defend you. And then as soon as persecution comes, they're, they're gone. And discipleship, you know, when you disciple someone and then they are gone, one drop of the hat or one bad um, incident or one, one moment in life where something comes and you're like, well, why didn't they, they spent four years with us? They, you know, they spent time with us. We, we had dinner together. We, had, we, we spent time together. We, we talked to each other. But think about this. Jesus spent more time discipling in three years than we get to disciple people most of our lives. Think about this. 24 hours a day he, they spent with him, basically. And so when that happens, we have to look and say, you know what, it's, it's part of life. And it, 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 it sucks, it, it, but it is something that happens. We can raise our children the way that we should. We can teach our children the way they should, but it's still their final decision to live that life, to walk out that life. And we have to look at Jesus and what his disciples did because it's a reassurance that, you know what, even Jesus had people who tended to, yes, they may have come back, but they walked away from what he was doing. He said, we'll go to the cross with you, but as soon as some guys with swords show up, they're like, yeah, don't know the dude. Sorry, we got to go. Uh, you know, the guys who were fishermen like, yeah, I, I hear my nets need to be refixed. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be back. And the tax collector's like, I just got to hide from people because they're going to kill me anyway. Um, but, the disciples were like, why are you telling us these stories? We don't understand them. So Jesus, in verse 11, he says, then it says, he explained. So, you have been given an intimate experience and in the insight into hidden truths and the mysteries of the realm of the kingdom of heaven, but they have not. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. I love that. He will receive progressively more revelation until he has received more than enough. So we talk about more than enough. Uh, we need more than enough of God so we can give something to people. We need more than enough of him in us, living in us, more revelation of him so we can give it to people. When we don't have enough, we can't give enough. It's like taking a person who is hungry and giving them a piece of bread and say, okay, you need to take this, be filled with it, and give more. You know, they, the, in the scripture it says, well, if someone is hungry and you say, go be well and, be, and don't be hungry, and then you send them off and don't give them bread, what good does it do? We need to, so Jesus is saying, you need a more revelation of me that is more revelation that is progressively more, so it becomes more than enough so you can give it to people. He was saying there, his disciples were starting to catch on to what he was saying. It only took till, you know, like the 13th chapter of Matthew for him to, them to start like, oh yeah, I kind of get it now. Um, but they had an intimate experience with Jesus. So in verse 12, it says, for everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open and teachable heart, even the understanding they, that they think they have will be taken from them. That is why I teach people using parables because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they listen to me, they will never fully perceive the message I speak. 
the prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they do not understand what I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. You guys are not dull. You will be quick to perceive this. They deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see, open their ears to hear, open their minds to understand, and they would turn to me and let me instantly heal them. I love that passage because he says, they turn from me and they deliberately shut their eyes. I think we've done that as a church in, in this culture. So we deliberately shut our eyes to what is out there because we don't want to, we don't want to, it's messy and it's ugly and we don't want to have to deal with some of the things that things go on. You know, we turn our eyes to what is happening in the world today because if, it, if it's messy, I don't want to get involved in this mess because that means we have to start to clean up things. And then verse 16, he says, But your eyes are privileged, for they see, delighted are your ears, for they open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people in the time past have yearned to see these days of miracles that you have been favored to see. They would have given everything to hear the revelation you have been favored to hear. Yet they didn't get to see much as a glimpse or hear even a whisper. Now, you're ready to listen to the revelation of the parable of the sower of, de- of seeds. Excuse me. So Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to tell you the story, but whoever is ready to wait and listen. So Jesus would, would preach. And then he would stop preaching. And then he would wait for people to come up to him and say, what does this mean? He was looking for people who were seeking truth. He wasn't sitting there. He would preach because he can't sit there and disciple everybody. But I, what he would do is he would preach and say, okay, this is what I'm preaching on. And then people would be like, well, this makes no sense. I, I don't understand it. I don't, whatever. And then they would go on. But he's waiting for people to come up to him and say, Jesus, why, what, what does this mean? Why are you talking this way? And then he says this, verse 19, he says, the seeds that fell on the beaten path represents the heart of one who hears the message of the kingdom, but doesn't understand it. The adversary then comes and snatches away what is sown into his heart. Verse 20 says, The seeds on the gravel represent the person who gladly hears the kingdom message, but his experience remains shallow. Shortly after he hears it, troubles and persecution come because of the kingdom message he has received. Then he quickly falls away. For the truth didn't sink deeply into his heart. Verse 22 says, The seeds among the, sown among the weeds represent a person who receives the message but all of life's busyness, distractions have divided his heart and his ambition for wealth results in the suffocating, suffocating the kingdom message and prevent him from bearing spiritual fruit. As for the seeds that fell upon the good soil, it was rich. It represents the hearts of the people who hear and fully embrace the message of the kingdom of heaven. Their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, 100 times as much as was sown. That's a lot to take in. But I want to I break those four things down for you. I, wanna, I want you to think about this. So he talked about the seeds that fell on the beaten path. Think about this. When you walk, uh, you guys ever walked in Branstrom Park? Those trails are so 
walked on that there's just it's, there's nothing grows on it. You can't because it's so packed on. The, it's so packed down that you they, people ride bikes on them. They walk, whatever. And there's nothing that can grow on that path. Stuff around the path can grow. But that path, you, you know where that path is. You don't, you know, where's the path? You know that path because it's just bare dirt. But nothing can penetrate it. So he says that that, that seed that fell on the, the, the beaten path represents the heart of the one who hears the kingdom of God, hears the message of it, but doesn't understand it. So think about this. Matthew 27. If you guys want to turn there, you can. This is verse 3. It says, Now Judas, the betrayer, saw that Jesus had been sentenced to death. Removed, excuse me, remorse filled his heart. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest, saying, I have sinned because I have betrayed an innocent man. And they replied, Why are you bothering us? That's your problem. And Judas flung the silver inside the temple and went out and hung himself. I relate that passage of Scripture to the seeds that fell on the beaten path. Because he was with Jesus. He had spent time with Jesus. He spent three years with Jesus. But you look throughout the, the Scriptures, and Judas is like, well, why are we wasting money on this? Why are we, you know, this oil that she was, Mary was anointing Jesus' feet with? Oh, we should just sell it and give the money to the poor. You know, a lot of scholars think Judas was just skimming off the top. He was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry, and they think he was just probably taking money, doing what he wanted with it. But that was Judas. He was the beaten path, and seed fell on there, but nothing sank in. Nothing took root. Nothing became... The seed never could do anything because his life was so compacted with what he is his own agenda of this is my thing i'm doing this and nothing else can can come into it but judas after he had betrayed jesus realized what he had done he had started to see what he had done became aware of what he had done but at that point he was like where do i go from here The second one is the seeds that are sown into the gravel. You know, a person gladly hears the message, but experiences remain shallow. Shortly after they hear it, troubles come, persecution comes. Mark 14. Mark 14, 48 and 52, or through 52 says this, And Jesus said to the mob, Why would you arrest me with swords and clubs, though I were an outlaw? Day after day I sat with you in the temple courts, teaching the people, yet you didn't arrest me then. But all this fulfills the prophecies of Scripture. At that point, all of his disciples ran away and abandoned him. But there was a young man there following Jesus, wearing only a linen sheet wrapped around him. They tried to arrest him also, but he slipped away. So the seeds that f- gladly hear the kingdom message, gladly follow it, but as soon as persecution shows up, they run away. That was the disciples. Gung-ho, we, Jesus is there, we're doing this, we're doing this, but as soon as their leader is arrested, as soon as he is taken, they're like, nope, can't do this. Persecution, can't, I, yep, I got fish to go catch, I got taxes to collect, I got other things to do. You know, 
the truth was there, but it didn't sink in. Their hearts had to go, their hearts went through the persecution, and I believe what happened was it started to sink in after that. They started to realize after persecution what they had done, and I think that's uh, us in life. After it's happened, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what, what, what it was. Yeah, that's what, the truth. That is what should have happened. Judas never got to that point, but he was so far gone. He was that beaten down path, but he was so far gone, he didn't have any other way out. The disciples were, yeah, this is great. We're doing this. We're, you know, Jesus sends them out. We're going to go pray for people, and we're going to see people um, you know, healed and delivered. And then as soon as persecution hits, boom, oh, we're done doing that. I'm not going to be involved in that because it's tough and it's hard. And then the seeds that were sown among the weeds. The person receives the message, but all life busy distractions, his divided heart, his ambition for wealth results in suffocating the kingdom message. Mark 10, Mark 10, 17. The rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man came running up to him, kneeling down in front of him, and he cried out, good teacher, what is the one thing I must do to gain eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You, are already know, you already know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. The man said, this man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have carefully obeyed them since my youth. Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love, and he said to him, Yet there is still one thing you are lacking. He said, Go and sell all that you have and give your money to the poor. Then all your treasures will be in heaven. After, this, after you've done this, come back. And walk with me. Completely shocked by the answer, he turned away and walked and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus looked at the faces of the disciples and said, How hard is it for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven? You know, I, I, we take that verse out of context, that last piece out of context. It's like, oh, you have money, you can't. It's, it's going to be hard for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. No, if it's that you love your money, so much that you're not willing to follow Jesus. You're not willing to give it up to follow Jesus. It will be hard for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about this. He came to Jesus and said, I've done everything. Jesus said, I want you to do this. Give up this one thing, sell it all, and follow me. He was in the weeds. He received the message but distractions, divided heart. God said you cannot love God and you cannot love money at the same time. But he was disappointed because he thought, I have to give up everything I own. Everything that is what makes me who I am, I have to give that up. Because that's who he was. He wasn't this person. He was just rich. He was this person who had money. The, busy distra- the busyness, the distractions, the divided heart, and his ambition for wealth. He didn't get wealthy. He might have been generationally wealthy, but he grew in his wealth, and he knew that he had money. He had power. He said he was a ruler. That, it doesn't say he was a wealthy man. He said he was a ruler. That means he had money and he had power. The 
but that message of give up what you have and follow me. He had done everything else. There was just that little sliver, that tiny little part that he had left that he had to do. And he said, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can give up what I have to follow you. Verse 23, it says, As to the seeds that fell upon the good soil, rich soil, it represents the heart of people who will hear and fully embrace the message of heaven's kingdom. They live to bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. So if you guys turn to Acts, verse, chapter 9. We all know this passage. This is Saul on the road to Damascus. He is on his way to persecute the church, to kill Christians, to put them in jail, to take everything they have. Here's the thing. They didn't just kill them. They confiscated everything they had. Paul wasn't rich because he made a lot of money working for the temple. He had, was rich because he had a lot of money taking from Christians their, their possessions and selling them and making money that way. Here's the thing. He was a Pharisee with a very good um, ability to be very militant. He was good at killing. He was good at persecuting. And he made a lot of money off the people he killed. So he's on his way. In verse 3, it says, So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the men, uh, then the men accompanying Saul, Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice, but no one could see. Can you imagine that? Paul's on the ground. He can't see anything. Blinding light. You don't know what's going on. This guy's just on the ground doing this, you know, whatever, making some weird, you know, like is he having a seizure? You know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, you hear a booming voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know him. I'd be like, yep, I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't know that dude. But then they hear this booming voice that says, Paul says, who are you, Lord? He knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. And then, G- and then you hear, I am Jesus, the victorious one, the one you are persecuting. I'd be like, yep. Don't know him. I'm just helping him. I was paid to help him. Don't know who he was. You imagine hearing that. Out of, you know, you're just standing there. Some guy's rolling around on the ground, all freaking out. And you're just like, oh, man. I mean, here, here's the thing. If you've looked throughout Scripture, anytime there was an experience with God, whether it was Moses being in, in God's presence, just seeing the, the, the part of his robe going by, just the, the trail end of his glory changed Moses, the way he looked, the way he reacted. Can you imagine hearing from God? This is one of the only times in the Bible you hear about God speaking outright. You look at 
the baptism of Jesus. What does he say? This is my son who I am well pleased. And never, can you imagine hearing that? Everybody standing there. Jesus just, oh, you're baptizing some dude. And all of a sudden, you know, Holy Spirit comes down. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. That is a, a landmark moment for these guys. This is a landmark moment for these guys because they're hearing the voice of God speak. I want to believe that they were changed too. That they weren't just like, oh yeah, I don't know, and just carry on. You can't just go home. Well, what'd you do today? Well, I heard the voice of God, and we had lunch at this restaurant, and then, no, there was something that probably changed in them too. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He said, now get up and go to the city where you will be told what to do. Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind, so he had the men take him by hand and lead him to Damascus. For three days he did not eat or drink and could not see a thing. Living in Damascus, there was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, saying, Ananias, he said, yes, Lord. The Lord said, go to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him in Judah's house while he was praying he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands on him and to restore his sight. Ananias said, But Lord, many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all of those in Damascus who call on your name. And then the Lord Yahweh it doesn't just say the Lord. It says the Lord Yahweh said to him, arise and go. So when, not just the Lord, God adds another part of his name on there, says arise and go, you go. So Ananias rose and he went to the house. So think about this. We have a man who is wealthy because he's stolen possessions and money from the church for pro- they probably say around five years to ten years before he had an experience with God. So he's stealing money from from the the church as he's persecuting them. He's killing them. He's imprisoning them. He's tearing you know he's putting them. In, and here's what they they didn't do. They just didn't imprison them. They put them into slavery. They would sell them off. They would push them to other regions. So you have a man who is wealthy, he's murdering believers, he is persecuting believers, but God comes to him and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And Paul has an encounter with God that changes him forever. Think about this, if he can use Someone who is completely all of those things wrapped up. He is Judas. He is the disciples. He is, he is the one, the most um, persecuting one in that time of the church. He says, well, I want him to go do my will. You know, when we look for someone to go do the will of God, we're like, who's the best disciple in the room? Who is the, you know, who, who knows the most scripture? Who knows how to pray? God's like, you know, I just want to use this guy. He's pretty good at what he does, but I'm going to change his motives to what I want him to do. Here's the thing is Paul was pretty driven to go and murder people and to separate and to destroy the church. He had a mandate from the high priest 
to go and do this. He was given permission to, to do whatever he needed to get rid of this movement. But God's like, you know what? He's pretty, he's pretty fervent. He's pretty um, committed to this. I want him for mine. And he takes Saul and he turns him into a new person, gives him a new name. And he says, oh, by the way, now you're going to go do what I want you to do. He's like, oh, but you're going to have to spend some time with Barnabas. He's going to teach you. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to, you're going to follow him. You're going to learn how to do those things. And then I'm going to set you on what you want to do. If he can do that with Paul, he can, how can he not do that with us? You know, I look at these, these four different types of soil I think he's speaking to the condition of our hearts. Not, not, the, not the, I need to go witness to people, and this is their, how their hearts are. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to the condition of our hearts. He said, where, and I think in our lives, we have these little pieces that become the weeds, the, the hard ground, the, the, um, the good soil, whatever it is. Though our hearts are those there's areas of our life, there's areas of our heart that are just like, this is this, and this is, you know, it's the seeds and the gravel, it's the seeds and the weeds, it's seeds on the, the hard path, it's the seeds in the good soil. Jesus is trying to tell people about who he is, but he's saying, this is who we, our hearts are. I think he's, he's not just talking to the unbelieving. He's talking to the Christians too. He's talking to the, his followers and saying, where is your heart? Is your heart good soil? Is it in the weeds? Is it in the gravel? Is it in the path where it just gets trampled on? And he's talking to us saying, okay, where, what do you need to do to make your heart good soil? Are you able to receive from me? You know, if we're going to be able to receive from God, we have to look at his word. That's the f- easiest way to receive from God is to look at his word. Open his word, read it, and say, this is what God is saying to me. That is it's the simplest. You don't even have to hear from God during that. You can just open his word and say, okay, this is what God says to me. That's, it's plain and simple. Boom, that's what God is telling you. That can be the starting point. But then there's hearing from God, knowing what God is telling you for your life, for your circumstances for the situation you're in, whatever it is, there's methods of hearing from God beyond his word. And we have to look and say, okay, where's my heart and how do I prepare it to be good soil? It starts with reading the word. It starts, the, the, the word is like the, John has a really big rototiller that he puts on the back of his tractor every year and he rototills his garden. And it's massive, it's like six feet and it's huge. The word is like that. It's digging into the soil and say, I'm going to dig it up. It is, it is a plow. It is a rototiller to dig up that soil so it is usable. See, here's what happens is John just doesn't go put his rototiller down and go one time because the soil isn't prepared for it. John goes enough to where you walk in it and it sinks and you step in it and then it's prepared. So the, the word of God is, is that plow that breaks up the soil and it releases the, the dirt and releases our heart to be able to receive from God. But then we, what we do is we hear the word of God and it starts to change our life. We read the word of God, it starts to change our life. But then it starts, oh, prayer. 
Prayer is when we start to communicate with God and we start to hear from God and he says, oh, by the way, we need to do this. It's that communication back and forth. And then it comes in dreams and then it comes in prophetic words and then it's God just, without praying, God's just like, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, whoa, whoa. It's about preparing our hearts. Jesus is, is talking to the unbelievers, but he's also talking to us. He's saying, where is your heart and how do you prepare it to receive what I have? I think so many times in our lives, we, we, God has the seed and he's throwing it and he's casting it and he's planting it, but our hearts are hard or have too many weeds. And you're like, God, where was that promise, that blessing you said you would have for me? And he's like, I threw it your way. He's waiting for us to be good soil in our life so he can do what he needs to do in our lives. So he can bless us in ways that we don't even understand right now. That we can have a relationship like we don't even know we can have right now. But I think we have to look and say, okay, you know, in our heart, our heart isn't that way, but you know, let's just go with that way. We have to look, okay, is, are the edges dry and beaten down? Are the edges dried and beaten down from that path that's been walked on? Hurt, bitterness, you know, um, just the, the things of life that have, that have made it so tough and so hard that we can't receive the healing that God wants for us, the, the, the love that God wants for us. And so on the outside, you have that, that rough exterior of the heart that's so tired of, of having hurt and um, so um, scarred from having hurt that God's like, I need to break through that. And then once you get past that, it's like, as, as humans, we have this protective thing in us that once we get hurt, we're like, back off. You know, we're like, I'll fight you in the, in the parking lot afterwards if you say that to me. Um, but we have that rough exterior. But then on the next level, it's the weeds, the thicket, the thorns. We were walking to pick, pick up a Christmas tree um, a couple of days ago, and we were walking through to get the tree, and there's these thorns. They're not only about this high, but they're catching, they catch. And I think that the next level of our heart is, so we protect ourselves and we, we keep ourselves, is that thorns that's on the outside. That second layer to keep, where God is like, I need to break through that. I need to break through that, is that thorns. And then it's just the rocky soil. And he's like, this is what I want. I need to get rid of the rocks. Farmers, they don't just plow the rocks up. You ever seen a farmer keeps hitting a rock every year and that after about five years of hitting, he finally digs it up and when he digs it up, it's this huge boulder. God's like, I need to remove those. I need to remove those so the soil I'm trying to plant in you, or the things I'm trying to plant in you, in that soil will be usable. And so he's saying, okay, let's get rid of the, the beaten down path. Let's get rid of the, the hard exterior. Let's get rid of the thorns. Let's get rid of the rocks and the, and the things in the soil that are keeping you from having that relationship with me. When you take those rocks out, he said, oh, by the way, now that we've taken those rocks out, it might've been painful. It might've been hard, but now there's good soil. Now there is something that I can work with. There's something I can plant with. There's going to be fruit. You don't plant something to not enjoy what you're going to plant. 
It's like planting flowers and go, oh, I planted flowers, and then about a week later go, eh, I'm done with them. I enjoyed that, and just till them up. No, you plant, my wife plants flowers and different weird plants every year so she can enjoy them, not be like, oh, I really don't like that. And we plant crops to what? Get food from, to feed our animals, to, to, there's something about planting that we reap a harvest from. And when we do that, we use it. So God is like, I want to create something, the, take away all the rough exterior, take away the rocks, take away the thorns, and I want to create something in you so I can plant. So when I plant, there will be seed, those seeds will have good soil to grow. You don't just set a, a seed on the top of the ground and go, grow, and hope it grows. You, you plant it, and when he plants, he, you, don't, you have to push the seed into the soil. You don't just throw it out on the soil and hope it grows. You don't throw corn on top of the ground and say, yeah, it'll be fine. No, they, they plant it in the ground because there needs to be something to sustain it. So when he plants that seed in you, if you have good soil, there's going to be something that can sustain that. So when you're, it is growing in you, the fruit of what is going to come out of it will be good. Because all those other ones, it's like, oh, I'm just going to throw it on top and hope it grows. And so he's saying, I'm speaking to you. I'm saying, I will, let's work on the condition of our hearts to become good soil so we can have something planted in us. Because what is planted in us gets to be given to other people. It's overflow. You know, we don't plant one piece of corn and say, well, this will feed the animals for the year. You know, it's like, oh, one piece of alfalfa out. And they, yeah, that cow, is, that's going to feed the cow for a year. There's this stupid commercial for some kind of drug, and it says, if, push, if you could do one push-up and it would make your heart better, or if you could do one sit-up and it would make your heart better, wouldn't you do it? And the guy's in his gym clothes, and he gets down, and he, he goes, one. Picks up his towel, takes his gym bag, and walks out the door. And I'm just like, if it was that easy. If it, that, if it was that easy. But God is saying, it's going to take work. It's going to take time to, to, to get rid of those things. It's going to take time to excavate those things. It's going to take time to dig those things up so that you can have good soil. But you're going to have fruit when it comes out of it. You're going to have overflow of abundance in your life so that way the people around you get to experience it too. It's not just about us. It's not just about what God is going to do in us. It's about what he's going to do in us through us so other people can enjoy the fruit that we have. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray.